What a great track, Leonard Cohen and The Future. And that is another one of the songs off the Spotify uh, soundtrack to a book called The World. And it seemed kind of appropriate to play the song that talks about the future because indeed, if we're going to look at the future, there's uh, the huge possibility of engaging with the past as well. And the book we're going to talk to is a book which is called The World, A Family History. History. It's written by Simon Seabag Montefiore. And I'm going to read you just something briefly from the conclusion as we think about the past and the future. Putin's invasion of Ukraine is not a new way of exerting and expanding power. Its flint-hearted ferocity is a return to normalcy or normality in a way that the dynasts in this book, warlords, kings and dictators, would find routine. Normal disorder has been resumed. Many of today's empire nations seem keen to expand spheres of influence that mimic old empires. And in many ways, that's exactly what this book is all about. Simon Seabag Montepifiore, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Good morning. So I understand you prefer to be called Seabag as opposed to Simon. Well, it's, it is part of my surname. Um, it's Moroccan, in fact, the, the Seabag, Sibach. But um, but it's everyone calls me that everywhere. Um, only my only my sort of family call me Simon. Well, let's keep your family to your family, given that's exactly what we're looking <laughs> Sure. So Simon, for our listeners who may not have read this, and it certainly is a reading and a half. Uh, what is the premise of the book? Well, it's just it's a history of the world um, from from the Stone Age to the Drone Age in one single narrative, encompassing all parts of the world in a very diverse way, especially Africa, especially Asia, um, in Europe and the Americas, of course. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 has, it has the span of world history, but the intimacy of biography, which it achieves by following world history through families. You talk about the intimacy of biography, but uh, the only way one can really do that is massive research. And I have to say... I understand that you did your research during COVID, so it gave you a couple of years to lock down and just read and read. The joy of reading for 13 hours a day, well, yes, but wow. No, I did I mean, I did the writing, really, in COVID. Okay. So the two and a half years, um, I, well, the way I work is I do all the all the research first, and when it, then I do the yeah. writing so that it has a sort of single flow. And um, so I did the writing. I started writing it on the first day of lockdown in London. Yeah. And then I lived like a monk for two and a <laughs> half years, barely going out, seeing yeah. anybody, um, writing from dawn mm. and, um, and, and, and completed it, you know, just to come out and just in, in England in October. It's a completely intriguing way to look at history, because in many ways, what I thought about as I was reading it was this idea of the family as political party but also the political party as family. Yes. And, and it feels to me that that is something that we've shifted through time where the family was the political party in a way, and yet now in many ways we're seeing political parties that in their own right are families as well. Yeah, well, I think it's gone both ways. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it's a history of families, and when there aren't families, we look at courts and um, co coteries and cliques and factions yeah, and cabals. Um, there are lots of great words for, for um, and you're very acquainted with those in your government here, of course, yes. in the ANC <laughs> and so on. So, um, so you know, that will, be, that will be a familiar process um, to South African readers. And, of course, South Africa is a huge part of the book Absolutely. as well. Yeah, and all of Africa. You know, you, you, um, I'm going to go back to the early times. And 
You talk about, I mean, in your conclusion, you talk about how it seems as though we were creating a normality which was normal in history. And certainly in the book, um, the use of violence, um, how we have used violence over time to disempower people and empower others is graphic to the extreme, but also quite profound, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, you know, that's the way power has always been exerted. Yeah. And of course, it's it's not really just to do with lib- liberal democracies versus dictatorships or autocracies. Mm. I mean, the fact is that both um, all states are wielders of uh, wielders of power and try to monopolize violence and yeah. use violence. Um, you know, so it, um, it it doesn't matter if you're a democracy or autocracy, but of course, autocracies are much more careless with their people and yeah. with their lives of the people. And, of course, when autocracies f- fall, um, they destroy a lot of their people or other people with them. While when democracies fall or change, um, you know, you just change you just change one boring, inept government for another. It's funny that you speak because they, they, I think it's you that, that I wrote a quote of saying, no epoch realizes at the time how lucky it is until it's gone. Yes. I mean, that's very true of us. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, though we feel... Um, as people have always felt in every section of the book, in every millennium, every century, we feel that humans have felt that the the world is about to end and we're in terrible danger. Um, perhaps just because of perhaps a sort of feeling of guilt at the fragility and precarity of of um, human life, but um, but certainly now we are in more danger than we have been before. As Leonard Cohen so rightly yeah. says, I quote him actually because yes, he's a great do. philosopher. Um, in the conclusion. Um, you know, I've seen the future and it's mm. murder. You know, I want to go back to those early um, days in the Roman Empire and the like. And, and what struck me when I was reading it, and it's the same all the way through, actually, but was the role of the various different people when we look at history that are, that play various different roles. So there's the role of the scribe and the storyteller throughout history. And I know... Um, at what you know, quite a few times we, we talk about Seneca in the book as well. All cruelty springs from weakness. But the role of the philosophers, the poets, the court jesters, the storytellers. Talk to us about that in terms of your research, but also the writing of the yes, story. Yes, I mean, um, I mean, this book is about families of rulers mm. often, all the way from the sort of Roman from Julius Caesar to Kim Jong Un yeah. today. Um, you know, as well as sort of democratic yeah. um, families like the Kennedys and, and the mm. Marcoses of Philippines the Zulus, and the yeah. Kenyattas, the Zulus, the Incas. But it's also about um, all sorts of other families. And some of them are writers, some of them are novelists, some of them are, some of them are executioners. And many of them are historians yeah. and scribes of different sorts. And, um, and they're also hugely important. And it is a sort of it's a, it's a wonderful um, a wonderful role to have if you're if you're like me writing in a, in free countries saying exactly what I like and criticizing who I like but of course in China or Russia today or Belarus um, you know writing being writing history is a very very dangerous um, pastime yeah. because history and you talk about a, that in the book yes. as well that er, the early time yes I cover that all the way through yeah. I mean I cover that all the way through um, but I was you know. Um, while I've been out here, my my friends who helped me write my one of my early my earlier books on Joseph Stalin yes. have all been raided by the secret police in Moscow. So and they're still in Moscow. So though of course they've lost all they've lost their jobs already, and their organisations have been declared um, alien organisations of a foreign power. Um, but now they've been raided by the secret police. So the, the sky is darkening, and you know I just realise how you know how fortunate. 
we are, I am, to be writing mm. history and to be discussing history because history is, is power. Yeah. Take that a little bit further. Well, I mean, I think ever since the beginning of time, um, you know, we've looked to history to provide meaning, a meaning for who we are, um, where we come from, and how our states or kingdoms or, or people or tribe or even family come mm. to come to be who we are. We search for our identity in history, and history, um, because it's because it's regarded um, as as a sort of truth from the past, has a special authority, a special legitimacy, and al- almost a sanctity, mm. and. Um, you know, Il Khaldun, the the Arab um, historian, the greatest the greatest historian ever, um, in the, who lived in the 14th century, said um, that um, you know he said history is so important. I hear people in the in the marketplaces arguing about it. So people have always cared <laughs> mm. very much about it, and that's why it has a special power. And of course, Putin is a is 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 reading history and quoting history at the moment. Yeah, in many different ways that are not necessarily to the best. So you, one of the things I thought about when I was reading as well was is how we look at women and yeah. how we have looked at the role of women. I'm sure people have picked everybody's, I'm sure, t- spoken about that, but just the idea of women as mothers, wives, sisters, chattel, but also leaders and, and the power behind the throne or the power on the throne. But they, they play su- such an extraordinary part and we, we, we probably, what's great about this book is that we really do start to see that golden thread. Well, that's the great thing about writing about families and one of the great concepts. Yeah. It's a very simple concept because everyone yeah. has some sort of family. And the families in the book are either, they can be sort of biological families, just nuclear families, mm. just like us, which, which we all have in some form yeah. or other, sort of mum and dad sort of thing. Mm. Um, and so it's partly a history of that unit, but it's also a history of power families. And in in both, of course, women are, are, are paramount. And in power families, um, women often thrived and rose to the top much yeah. long before they'd risen to the top in democracies, for example. Yeah. So 18th century Russia, after the death of Peter the Great, um, you know, it was, was ruled basically by women for sort of most of the century. So I'm, you were... I'm, I'm take, going forward. I might be moving backwards and forwards a bit. I apologise, but you, in the late latter part of the book, you know, I was reading the, you know, the, the bit about Adolf Hitler, and we were talking about women. He felt like he wasn't someone with family. I mean, you spoke about his niece uh, who then committed suicide, which yeah. certainly kind of like should be raising red flags in some kind of a way. For sure. But um, those kind, someone like him. His family was something else. It wasn't well, literally his family. Well, he called. He he liked to say that you know he was married to the German people and married married to the right. Yeah. And he promoted himself as Stalin did really as having sort of no family. Their family was very secret. What family they did have, mm. and he didn't think in a family way. He wasn't a dynast. But actually, this way of looking at families still works with people like um, Hitler and Stalin, and even democratic politicians like. Thatcher or Mandela or, yeah. or you know, who, 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 of course, had families, but they didn't bring their families into politics with them or try and arrange successions. It still works. They try. They often try. But yeah. it, it actually still works very well. For example, with Hitler, you know, we meet Hitler's father um, in the 19th century when he was a very typical mm. uh, member of the of Franz Joseph's Habsburg bureaucracy in yes. Austria. So, so actually it works terribly well. And you understand where Hitler came from. And by the way, you know, Hitler and his mother, 
You know, we used to be told that Stalin and Hitler were, were monsters because they'd be, had such terrible childhoods and been so ill-treated, um, which was kind of nonsense in many cases because everybody had tough childhoods and many people had alcoholic, mm. fa- boozy fathers that beat, and everyone was beaten by their fathers in the 19th century. But what you really realise is that this is a book about maternal power and their mothers adored them. And in both cases, their mothers loved them not too little, but probably too much. And they, were, wow. you know, they grew up to be wildly overconfident. Yeah. So if you take um, those kinds of narratives and you take it through, to you, if you talk about power, what does that mean for you? For me, mm. personally, you mean? No, not for you personally, but if you look back at what you've said about power in the book and that kind of thing. I mean, I just think power is, there are always many, power is multifaceted. Um, in one sense, um, it's the power that comes from institutions, um, in another sense, um, it's, it's, it's personal. And I'm really concerned with personal power in the book. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a historian of power and, and of courts and of the way that power works. And it's just interesting how power um, fluctuates, literally flows from, you know, from one place to another, wherever power is. And, I, you know, for example, the Emperor Paul of, of Russia, his... His valet became the most powerful man in Russia, and in the end, he Rasputin beca- is, and yeah. Rasputin is a good example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Rasputin is an interesting example. Um, I hope you've played Boney M's on Rasputin, oh, I which is, I wanted which to is a masterpiece, of course, of, and a great. <laughs> if we and, can find Boney M's Rasputin uh, within the next uh, two seconds. Boney M's Rasputin in the next two seconds will definitely give it yeah, to you as a it's, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great um, analysis of um, personal power in early yeah. early twentieth century Russia. Essential, mm. essential for all students. Of, um, of the Romanov dynasty. Because it made me think when I was reading this, I started to think about that book by, um, I mean, uh, what's it, uh, The Art of War. Uh, oh, yeah, well, he's a, it's Suzu, Suzu, yeah, yeah. It was like, that's the, it's the same thing. It's actually. the same thing. And a lot of things haven't changed. And a lot of things have changed. You know, what's changed is our societies now are very complicated, you know, and that's what you know, the, philosopher, the French philosopher Foucault wrote about yes. this, you know. The, the, the book, it isn't, the, now things aren't the same all the way through history, and history doesn't repeat yeah. itself, even though Marx made that great joke about, you know, yeah. history, uh, you know, um, plays out first as first as tragedy, yeah, secondly as farce. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, all, it, it, it's a very good line, but it's rubbish. Um, <laughs> and, and, all the, and, and, you know, Mark Twain said it doesn't, it doesn't repeat, it echoes. Yeah. Um, that's sort of closer to it. Yeah. In fact, it's always different. I mean, Putin, for example, isn't, he isn't a czar. You know, and he isn't Stalin either, but he is channeling both those things, um, both those leaders, both those regimes he's channeling to form something which is unique to today because it's also very, you know, very much a sort of digital television regime, um, you know, using the Internet, using um, all sorts, using hypersonic weaponry. So technology changes everything. And we're very aware in the book of AI, of smartphones and how they change the world and how they don't. In fact, we have to go to a break. But when we come back from the break, I want to ask you is that you talk about the present or the present that we are in currently as the iPhone and dagger disparities. Yes. What a great way to describe it. But maybe when we come back from the break, let's talk talk about about that. that. Great. The Jet Set Breakfast. Music, culture, lively and critical discussions on SAFM. We're chatting to Simon Seabag at Montefiore. The book is called The World of Family History, and it is an extraordinary book about families as they take on power, but also about how they shift 
and migrate across the globe. And in many ways, we see migration as it has changed and shifted over time as well, the meaning of migration. But as I was saying, Seabag, you were talking about um, iPhone and dagger disparities. Well, one of the interesting things, you know, that that we're seeing is that um, technology you know, is obviously a massive theme in the book and changes changes mm. the world over and over again. And AI is going to completely change society as much as mm. as much as um, the smartphones did, yeah. as much as the industrial revolution did. It's going to change the nature of the family because people, a lot of people are going to be put out of work. A lot of people are going to be at home more often and, and working from home. So it's going to change everything. But one of the things about technology is, is how little it changed things in some ways. When we thought in the 90s it was going to change everything yeah. and it would destroy autocracies, it would, it would liberate countries, it would, um, its information would, would um, modernize everywhere. Of course, it hasn't. And one of the phenomenons that you see is what I call iPhone and dagger societies, um, like Afghanistan or Congo, for example, mm. where you see, um, you see warriors, fighters going around in the streets when they've got a sort of Kalashnikov, a sort of machete, and, a, and, a, and, and they're driving around in a Toyota truck. And they have an they have a smartphone and they're on they're on WhatsApp. Yeah. But you know it hasn't changed the way that they're still functioning in a in a basically um, warlord tribal clan um, political world, and it hasn't modernised that at all. So I'm just sort of I just of course there are other places where society has completely been modernised by iPhones. So the world is still local. You know, it's funny because I think a while back I read a really interesting article about Algeria and how the spring uh, what do you call the it? Arab the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring had actually not made the difference that people thought it would. Yes. And with regards to uh, and how they use technology there. Well, that and was a revolution that failed, really, that in most w- places. Yeah. I mean, it's called, there was a huge backlash. It was more like sort of 1848 in the sense that these revolutions seemed to be happening. And then there was this kind of huge conservative backlash. And in most cases, um, you know, they, the, many of the regimes survived. Some didn't. I mean, the fall of Colonel Gaddafi... Um, who wanted to be king of all Africa, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, that was, that, was, that was one of the results that, that, that it did deliver. Let's look at technology in Hong Kong, for example. Well, Hong How Kong... How they used... Hong it. Kong is, you know, Hong Kong um, is, you know, is an example. It's, it's fascinating because mm. that was a kind of longer British colony. I was there for the handover, in fact. Wow. Um, and, um, but, of course, now it's increasingly part of China and it's being increasingly... Um, consumed into the Chinese system and the, the old deals with the British to maintain democratic institutions is fraying a lot. China's really important in the book. And it's of really course, important right now. Yeah, well. it's really important right now. And it, you know, we really look into sort of, we, we exist in a world where China is, is really the rising mega power. Mm. And you know, the future of the next, the next 50 years or probably next 10 years is going to be all about uh, the conflict, the the, the 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 sort of challenge between the United States and China. So it's interesting when you talk about China, and you know, I was talking to an economist this week, and we were talking about his term. He said, as opposed to the West and the East, he said that's the wrong term. Yeah, I don't use that in here. Yeah, in the book. I know. Yeah, and I, I thought about that. So I, I wondered what your take was on it. He was talking about the West and the non-West, but I mean, there's something else. Well, it's not just the West because you know a lot of a lot of the West is like Taiwan, South Korea, exactly. are the West, Japan, yeah. Australia. So I, I call it the open world and the closed world, or the control, or, and I call about open states and closed states or control states. I yeah. talk about. 
I, I try to use kind of new term. I'm trying to look at the world in a new way. Um, you know, one of the basic things, just to get, you know, to, in the basics in this book, talking, we're, we're talking here in Johannesburg, mm. is, you know, I wanted to sort of, I, often, tie, often whole worlds were always written about traditionally in history when sort of Spanish or British people or Dutch people arrived. Yeah. And so I wanted, I want the reader totally to know these this. people from centuries before. Yeah. And so we meet the Incas 300 years before, um, before the Spanish arrive. <laughs> and yeah. similarly in Africa, you know, I wanted to treat the rulers of Dahomey or, or, or Uganda or, mm. or Southern Africa um, exactly as I would treat um, the Habsburgs or the, or the Kennedys yeah. or, 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 the, or the Romanovs or the Windsors. So that's what I do. And it works well. You know, no, no one's done that before. So there's it's, a real African, this is yeah. a real African book. And, and, and the way you kind of shift from one minute it might be you might be in this part of the world the next minute you're in a completely different part of the world yes it's it's i mean i felt like i needed to get post-it notes and start sticking them up against the wall and start saying. yeah when that's the whole point it does it deliberately switches between you might well be in in kinshasa in congo yeah. and then you might instantly switch switch to london or, or beijing exactly. Exactly. and the, the, I, I just wanted to get a feeling of this to be a real international book a real global book um, not just a book written sort of from London. And so I've really kind of studied hard about Africa. I've really thought hard about yeah. huge things in Africa. Of course, the, all the familiar characters, Mandela, yeah. Shaka Zulu, are all in here. But you'll, I think e even those of you who are experts on your own history down here yeah. um, will find lots of African leaders and lots of African kingdoms mm. that you, you may not even be acquainted with very well. I mean, obviously, probably not in southern Africa itself, but... For example, in East Africa and West Africa, and of course in the north. Yes. And I'm a bit of an African because my family comes from Morocco originally. So, Zebag, the there's two things, and I, I know we're going to run out of time, but the role of religion. Um, I, you know, you, in some cases, you talk about it in so many different ways throughout the book, but how it plays out in the power play. I mean, it was interesting that there was like maybe a few lines, half a page on Jesus. And that was it. It was kind of like, well, that wasn't really the role because no. it was more about Christianity no. as a power force. That's right. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was only important when, um, you know, in two ways. Once when the, once when the, Jewish, the Jewish temple fell exactly. and the Christians, yeah. the early Christians, the Nazarenes realized that they would separate from the mother religion. Yeah. And the other moment was um, in 306, um, when Constantine the Great won a victory and and, con and, and converted Vintage. the whole empire, yeah. and so religion is never powerful without without power linked to it. But everybody, every individual, every family, and every state and every dynasty has a mission, and that mission yeah. has often been religious. Um, yeah. We think today we're pretty secular. Actually, that you know our life, our world today is full of almost religious orthodoxies and saints. Yeah. So. Even even secular, the secular world has that, and I think in the future, with the crises coming, people are going to need need new religions, new spirit, new spiritualism. You say the crises coming. What do you see the crises as? I mean, we face a sort of we say we face a multifaceted crisis of so climate change. We've got nuclear proliferation, mm. um, the you know the clash between China and America, um, the crisis of of um, food supplies, the crisis of um, med you know, medicine and science, mm. what to do with AI. There are lots of things. Um, and yet, you know, we've always expected the world to end. And I'm actually, ultimately, I think that somehow human ingenuity, human creativity, human love, dare I say it even, will somehow, um, will somehow come through this. 
Seems like an absolutely appropriate way to end the conversation, uh, coming from a book which uh, does has love, but in a very unusual way. We're going to close off with your choice song. If not, why not?